Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Caleb Davidson. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. Hey, you know the truth is, is that just pastoring for the last 15 years, doing life with a lot of you up close, uh, people in and out of this church, hearing stories from here, near and far away, the truth is, is that relationships are something that I think that all of us could use some help on. And uh, the reality is, is that I pray that in the church, we'd be, knowing, we'd be known in the world for having some of the most quality, the most healthy, the most deep, the most committed relationships possible. And while the stats don't you know, necessarily work in our favor when it comes to uh, you know, just this idea of healthy family and healthy relationships, just for one second here, forgive me, I just got to find my spot here. Uh, where am I? Here we are. Thank you. Um, I believe that we're called to have healthy relationships. If I look at what Christ has given us, the reward of his sacrifice to me would be to do our best to honestly be committed to one another, to respect one another, to make sure that we treat each other with the proper respect, both man and woman and woman to man. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, obviously there are a lot of scriptures that have been taken out of their context and skewed in in the past, in church culture, in certain, you know, you know, society kind of constructs that like to bring gender inequality and things like that. Women should submit to a man, all those things. I've seen it all. I've had people email me when I marry them saying, the woman should submit to a man and those things. And they always email me, how dare you teach such a, you know, one-sided message. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, you didn't hear what I said to the guys, though, right? You got to die for on behalf of your lady friends. <laughs> so, you know, we could get all up in arms about this idea of submission. I would just say this to you ladies, just for a record, around that one scripture, because I, I thought this was really funny. And this is not on my notes, but I think it's funny, okay? Ladies, you don't have to submit to any man that you don't choose to. Because when you marry him, you get to choose him. So you go, I want to submit to that dude. No, no, no. You get to go around and that guy's a total hoser. You know what I'm saying? That was the most Canadian thing I'm going to say all day. <laughs> hey there, large and in charge, bud. Uh, but, you know, the reality is that you don't got to, you get to choose, all right? And vice versa, men, you get to choose as well who you want to lay your life down on behalf of. But the reality is I think that this is not an antiquated idea that God is, you know, talking about in relationships. I actually think it's just a functional idea. It's how he designed relationships to work. There's a, there's a, there's a leadership structure even within the family unit. And, uh, but this is not to say that one sex or the other can dominate and domineer over the other. This is an idea that there's a bolt and an equal sacrifice on either side of the fence there. So these are some of the things I think that we should talk about over the next several weeks and really bring a proper framework for biblical marriage, Let's, to just biblical relationships, sex. Can I say that? That weekend's going to be a banger. <laughs> oh, that was going to be a good one. And uh, just make sure you leave your kids at home unless you, you know, you... Yeah, because I, we're going to talk that, we're going to go there, okay? And uh, we're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about pornography. I think it's about time we actually talked about some of that stuff in church. Uh, I think that, you know, when I look at, uh, and if you got kids, just plug their ears for a second, but, you know, when you look at the, the landscape of pornography and sex trafficking and the whole sex industry today, it's like not something that the world is doing, y'all. This is something that the church, it's full on going on in the church. And uh, there's so much devastation that happens relationally when we introduce these things into our world. 
it's the breakdown of many a relational, you know, capacity, a relational uh, thing that God wants to do. And I just think that we ought to talk about the things that is actually going on, not just, you know, under the roof, but under the sheets. And, uh, and I think that we ought to talk about these things because the reality is, is that I think the more we just kind of sweep it under the rug, the more that we just want to deal with our issues by sweeping them under the rug and just keeping them secret. I don't know what that's about. I, I, you got to be honest. I got to be honest with y'all. Like, I'm like, I, I, like, stuff like that eats at the inside of me. I've got to be one of those people who just, like, the most, like, ah, here I am, world. It's like, oh, it's not too much. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, but, but the reality is, is that I think that in the church, you either deal with your issues or your issues will eventually deal with you. And we can pretend, like, oh, so good, brother. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. And you get back in your van and you start yelling at everybody and you start, you know, cursing up one side, down the other, and you guys are relationally distant or whatever. Like, no one... Who cares about if you can say glory, hallelujah, all right? Let's talk about the real stuff that's going on. Let's not play games. Let's get down to the basics, and let's talk about how we can take your marriage, your relationships, or your soon-to-be relationships to another level. For some of you single people, I'm going to drop wisdom and gold for you that you need to write down for the future, all right? This could be applied immediately to a dating relationship, or it could be applied to a marriage. But I want you to know some of the things we're even going to share over the next several weeks are going to be things that I guarantee you some married people, some divorced people, they're going to wish that they had known before they tied the knot, before things went south, before things went, I guarantee you there's going to be things that, man, I wish someone had really honestly spoken to me about those type of things. And so today, I want to take it, uh, let's just edge in appropriately here today. I think what I think was one of the greatest, you know, breakdowns in any relationship is the inability to communicate properly. You know, ladies, I get it. You're frustrated at your man. He doesn't tell you enough, Right? You're, you're looking at your man, you're going, what's up with that? He's not vulnerable. I feel like he's, he's so kept to himself. I'm like, are you good? I always, I'm always left wondering and then therefore let my mind's left wandering to try to fill in the blanks. And guys, you're like, man, why doesn't my girl see me? Why doesn't she understand me? You know, I would, put, I would propose to you an idea, fellas, that your, your lady isn't a mind reader. You know, I know that we got the gift of prophecy in the church, but, you know, Unless you're trying to work your way to the office there, you know what I'm saying? This is going to be something that's going to pose problematic in your life unless you want to get vulnerable. And ladies, I think the same thing is true. We need to be able to, you know, talk about it. I know that's not your struggle, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Ah, bang, bang, shots fired, okay? But we really, y'all just calm down. I'm just playing with you, okay? But we need to talk about it. And we need to talk about what's really going on and we need, you know, rather than, you know, be like, why doesn't my man understand me? You know, and this is what happens. We pit the, the, the pink posse, you know, against the, the, the blue corner, the pink and the blue, and we go, oh, why don't, they should just get me. Why don't you understand what I want? You know, and, well, you should just understand that. How long have we been together? And you're so offended that they don't understand you and vice versa. But I think that's where communication is so necessary. And so let me give you a, a few little things on communication today. I'd encourage you to take notes. I'd encourage you to write stuff down. But what I'm believing for, y'all, I need you to understand there's an objective here. I'm believing that by the end of this series, our relationships, I'm gonna, they'll just be conversations that are had. There'll be, there'll be things that are said from the platform that may just start a conversation and start a journey in your life. Because God knows over the next three to four weeks, we're not going to cover everything. But we're going to cover a lot. And we're just going to drop a whole bunch of stuff at you. And, um, and I'm believing that it'll begin a journey for you and your relationships, a journey for you and yourself to begin to try to change the world by just simply taking inventory and changing yourself. Not looking 
to get in a relationship to change the person that you're with. God knows we've seen that train wreck over and over and over again. I just had high hopes that they would become like this. And so I said, yeah, can I just say, unless they're like, you want to make sure there's no false advertising going on. Unless they are what you want when you get there, you shouldn't tie the knot, all right? Because, and obviously that doesn't mean that they're not a work in progress. I get it. We're all under construction, okay? But the reality is, is that you don't get into a relationship to try to change someone. I see it in churches all the time. Well, you guys should, they, they come into our church and go, I think you should be like this. I'm like, wait, wait, is that how you want to start this relationship? Do you want to point out everything you think that we should be different at? And things? I'm like, there's a thousand other churches in the city that you could, I'm sure, go find a happy place to worship in. But the, the premise in which you join this should not be to come and change it. It's like, why did you come here then? Right? And I think the same thing is true of any relationship. I don't think it's fair to each other to want to get into a relationship and start pointing out the faults and become the fault finder. To become the person who wants to point out all the things that need to be different. No doubt they need to be different, but have you looked in the mirror lately? I know, I'm going to go here, right? Uh, and I'm just going with this, then we'll get into our meat, but I know some of you guys got a list. Come on, can I speak to the dating people just for a second? Some of you guys are, whether you wrote it down on your iPhone, ladies, whether you wrote it down on that old school notebook, fellas, whether you wrote it on your mirror at home and you're looking at it like he's got to have this, 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 can I just, can I just tell you what he ought to have? A job, praise the Lord, okay? Get him, make sure he has a job. No, man, I just play Halo while my mom makes my food still. Run, ladies! Run! It's an epidemic today. I don't even know what's going on. However, I was, I was actually rebuked recently where somebody actually pulled up a dude. He's a kid who plays video games. He makes $20,000 a month because people watch him play games and conquer it. And so he shows him. So he makes mad cash. And so I was like, Judah, you play video games, bro. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just one of those old guys. He said, you know, I walk to school barefoot, uphill both ways. I'm like that. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've I become old. And I was like, if you can make money at video games, you go, you go nuts. But the reality is, guys, I'm just trying to say, make sure he has a job. And let's make sure that, you know, that your list that you're creating. Now, here's the best word of advice. You know, there's not a lot. The Bible actually doesn't say a lot around what to do in relationships. Did you know that? It's crazy. And I'm like, what's up with that? And then I discovered why. Because the Bible doesn't want to speak to your spouse. It wants to speak to you. And some of y'all use your Bible like a sword, right? You're using it as like a thing to bat somebody up, like your Bible thumper. You know those people who chase people? Well, and you start pontificating and preaching at them. You start hitting them like, well, you know, you should be like this because the Bible says. And, it, and Pastor Caleb said, da, da, da. And so you should listen to the man of God. You know what I'm saying? You should listen to Pastor Julian. You're hitting them over the head. And, and what happens is we quickly start to berate them with our lists. But I just had a question. You want to know why it doesn't speak to your spouse as much as you think it ought to? Because Jesus is more interested in changing you than changing them. And here's what I, my takeaway is that sometimes when we create our list, can I just say, would you, according to the criteria of your list, would you be out of your own league? Come on, dating folks. Judgment seats, how am I doing? Come on, single people, holler at your boy when you see him on the street. What I'm trying to say is I think that sometimes it's weird, but we project these standards over one another. You know, how so many times I see great couples and like people, I'm like, yo, you guys should like, 
and I try to play matchmaker all the time. I got a great, like, a, got a great perspective here, folks. If you're single, what do you mean? You talk to me. I'm like, yeah, you, yeah, you'd be great with that, that guy over there. <laughs> I'm like, I know that guy. He's a really good guy. And some of you guys are like, well, no, no, there's no guys here. I'm like, what? You got to be blind. You know, there's no girls here. I'm like, what? I'm like, are you got to be kidding me? And I think that's because our, 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 our criteria, our standards, I think that sometimes we, we maintain a standard that I'm not telling you to settle, y'all, okay? I'm not telling you to do that. But what I am saying is, let's just look at this. Would you want to date you if you use your own list against yourself? See, I think that we need to be a little bit more realistic and understand that, you know, just like, you know, I, I was part of a church once that did a pastoral search, and they did this pastoral search, and they were looking for a new pastor. And so they had this interim guy in. It was kind of like, you know, in the government when they had, like, Ambrose. Was that, was that her name? She was great, by the way. I thought she was really great. Anyways, but uh, they had Ambrose as an interim before they got Sheer. Remember that? And so that's kind of like what it's like in church life. And so they got this interim guy, and they started saying, okay, what do you guys want in a pastor? I swear to you. I was part of the committee. Like, I was in some of the meetings. They got back, and all the, the board and the pastoral like, committee, church committee, sat down in this boardroom, and they all started to chuckle because they realized, like, literally as the list came in, they're like, oh, my goodness, like, who other than Jesus himself would fit the bill? And then we went back to the church going, you guys want Jesus. And they're like, yeah, bring him back. And we're like, you got to be kidding me. Let's be a little bit more realistic because we screwed up, man. We are human. We are flawed. We are dysfunctional. We're not arrived yet. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. And we got to be able to have a realistic expectation. I know you want Jesus, okay? But the reality is, here's my idea. As long as you both look, as long as you're after Jesus, guess what happens? You want to meet somebody? If your life is pointed and serving God, running after him, guess what happens? Eventually, the other person who's running after the same thing, you bump into each other. Hey, who are you? Yeah, I've been turning with you a while. Hey, hey. <laughs> and all of a sudden, God awakens something in you, and you're like, Rawr. you know what I'm saying? And you're like, the Lord saw and said it was good, and I agree. You know what I'm saying? Baby, have you read the book of Numbers? No. Well, I read it. I couldn't find your number. Can I have it? Come on. The Bible says to greet one another with a holy kiss. Do you mind? One more, okay? We could try speaking in tongues. You could interpret. Who needs the French when you got the Holy Ghost? Ah, <laughs> uh, y'all are so welcome. You know, the, the Israel walked around the walls of Jericho for seven days, and there well, how many, how long do I got to walk around you before you fall from me? <laughs> oh man, it's bad. Hey. Some of you are like, man, why do I find these people? Can I encourage you? When it comes to finding, you know, you're in the waiting, dating, or mating phase. When you're looking for that certain somebody, you know what waiting's like? It's like painful, right? You're like, How do, what, what do I do with all these urges and all these surges? Caleb's paraphrase, take cold baths and sit in your hands. <laughs> yeah. but, no, but seriously, though, um, you know what you do? 
Can I just give you a word of wisdom? You know, what did Adam do when he was in that place where he could not find a helper, a mate suitable for him? What did God say to him? What was his command to to Adam? He says, close your eyes and sleep, rest in me. So there's this idea of being, you know, we call it like, young people today call it like fogging, focusing on God, you know? That's what they call it. Yo, I'm just fogging, man. I'm focusing on God. Is that still a thing? It was in my day, okay? That's not a thing. Y'all need to bring that back. That was like a term. Hashtag, what's up, okay? Um, but you focus on God. And there's this idea of closing your eyes to all the many things and possibilities out there. Jumping from church to church, trying to look for that needle in a haystack, you know what I'm saying? And you don't have to be on this pursuit of this search. I honestly believe that when you're pursuing the purposes and plans of God, that he will bring someone in your, in, in, your, in your sights. He'll cross paths with somebody. That if you learn to close your eyes to all the many options and just rest in God and focus on his plans and his purposes, to become the man or the woman that God has called and desire you to be, I honestly believe that, well, just like the biblical example in Genesis, that they were, everything brought forth after their kind, right? I'm still amazed that Colin locked in Rebecca. I'm like... This is the one example where God broke this and did not bring forth after his kind. She is way out of your league, bro, okay? <laughs> like, you married way, way up. How many of you guys would agree, right? I'm mean, just saying, I'm like, man, what happened here? This is just, this is the, Colin's the one anomaly. You can go ask him for pros, tips and tools and that. I don't know how he did it, but no. Uh, but everything, you see, you look at some people, like, how did this happen? And then you realize what job the dude has. And you're like, ah, no, he's uh, But. No, you see, everything brings forth another kind. And I honestly believe that like attracts like. When It's a biblical principle that when you are going to, honestly, so many of us are so focused on the list, so focused on the trophy wife or vice versa, that we just simply need to get all, rid of all of it. Focus back on a biblical perspective and say, I'm going to change me. I'm not going to change them. I'm going to become the person who God's called me to be. And honestly, that will cause you to run in circles, to associate, to run, in, run into people. That would be like you. I honestly believe that. And so today, what I want to do, though, is dive into this thing because as relationships start to unfold, communication becomes a, a massive foundation for you guys to stay intimate with one another. What is intimacy anyways? We throw it around today like it's some kind of lost term, and it's kind of whatever. You know, we look at, oh, I got intimate with somebody. All they mean is they hooked up for a night, right? And they did the deed, right? And all of a sudden now we're throwing around, you know, relations, if I could put it like that, because I see kids in the room, so we're going to keep it PG. But you know, the reality is you're throwing out relations like it's like a handshake. It's just a physical exchange. And the world really has reduced physical intimacy down to such a degree. It's really just, hey, you're cool? I'm cool. Let's go. And what we don't realize is that there is a massive spiritual component to our sexuality. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons I believe it's been so washed up one of the reasons I believe the definition of marriage and, and, and sexuality is so under attack today is because of actually what it represents. Did you know that in the Bible, God created the male and female in the beginning, Mark 10, 6, Matthew 19, 4. Did you, have you not read? This is Jesus, by the way, confirming that he made a male and female. And what happened was, he says, this is a picture of the Godhead. He didn't put his fullness in one sex or the other. He cross-pollinated. He caused it to go over both so that when they come together, they will form the image of who God is. Because this is why Paul, in the Bible accounts, would often spend 
three chapters t- teaching on doctrine, who God is. Ephesians 1 to 3, doctrine. 4, 5, and 6, what is it? Practicalities of outworking that doctrine. Why does he want to talk about doctrine? Because unless you know who God is, everything reflects him in, in, in creation. And so our sexuality equally mirrors who he is. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loved each other so intimately, so closely, that they are considered one in the Bible. Now watch this. And so out of God's love, he says, let's give language to that love. Well, what does that language of love look like? It is kids, children. So children are an expression of that love. So he creates you and I as an expression out of the overflow of that love. To be made, it says, in his image, Genesis 1.26, in his, or he says, our likeness. Notice the Godhead, who is one, refers to himself in plurality as our and us. That is for a deep purpose because God is three, but he is one, right? And he creates children to reflect him. And in the sexual union of man and woman, there is a shedding of blood which represents like a covenant. And it is literally established that you become one. And out of that flow with God, you and him, it's a reflection of the Godhead once again. And so marriage literally is like a walking word or a walking prophecy about who God is. And out of that who God is, you see literally walking testimony to what God is like. And so you got to understand, I would believe that some of the assignment that has come over the ages to, to tear away at what this is, the foundation, the fabric, what it is, is seriously because of what it represents and what it's saying to society. It's saying this is who God is, this is what he is like, and as you see it, honestly, when you see healthy marriage, when you see healthy family, it is like a light on a hill, man. It's like, yo, the world needs a healthy example, somebody. And what happens is, is you've got this beautiful picture. Now, where was I going with that? I have absolutely no idea. Intimacy. Intimacy means in, basically, I could, this is not the definition, but you, you get what I'm saying here. Into me, see? It's like Avatar. I see you. There's nothing left that is not seen. You are, literally, you bear all before one another. And you see into one another, and you are accepted, and you belong. There's something so intimate about marriage and about sexuality. And in this intimacy, in this exchange, I honestly believe that God does something so powerful in us that it's unreal to, to truly live a world where you're accepted and where you belong, where people can see you in all your best and all your ugly and all the bad and all the terrific and all the tragic. Honestly, there's something so godly about that, that God who sees us in our fullness accepts us and there's something so intimate about it. But how do we maintain this intimacy and communicate properly so that it doesn't break down so we don't miss each other? Honestly, I think that this whole idea of communication, I don't know if you ever thought of this, but I, I think about these things. Communication to me is really interesting. The idea that I can, I can have like a thought and I'm going to give these thoughts sounds. I can, I can give these thoughts a symbol and subscribe a meaning to the symbol and a meaning to the sound. Sound. Like just follow this. This is so weird, but it's so worth it. Sound. Like, yo, that is so weird that that just, that I just, without having to take a thought from my head, cut your head open and stuff the thought in, I can literally transfer, I can send a meaningful thought 
that is intellectually sound to you without having to perform brain surgery or heart surgery. God, man, he is a genius. When you start to break down what the idea of communication is, what is communication? Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Communication is you seeing and understanding my heart and vice versa. I, in, 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 in exchange, extending, understanding your heart. And so, and how many, how often though, do we have conversations in our relationships where our hearts are missed? Where things get cross-wired? And this is, this is, I would, I would tell you this, this is simply why I believe that happens. Because ladies, I don't know if you've noticed, but we, as men and women, we share different hardware, but we also share different hard wiring. This is scientifically proven. Neurologists would not argue this point. We have different hardwiring. As a matter of fact, even how you process information is completely different than a man. And so picture it like you got all these neural pathways. They look like big trees and sending signals and they're firing all signals up there. You know, everyone's got these like, these root systems up there that look like root systems and trees and they're all like, it's like a Christmas tree up there, right? And we actually form neurological pathways. The way we process that information is entirely different. Now, let alone, let alone the misunderstandings can happen because of how we process information. But equally, did you know that the English, uh, you know, English language words, the most words share about three to four different meanings. There, 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 there. I just said like a whole bunch of different words, but you don't know which one I was speaking of there. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? You don't understand what I'm saying? Three to four different meanings, lots of room for misunderstanding, y'all. What do I mean? When a woman, when my wife walks out of her closet and she goes, getting ready for church, she's all friends, she goes, Caleb, I have nothing to wear. I'm like, good Lord, I don't even have a scrunch of that the closet anymore. I walk in, are you blind? There's stuff everywhere. What do you mean you don't have anything to wear? She goes and speaks in Florida. I'm like, you have a whole wardrobe. And she still bought new clothes. It's part of my profession, Caleb. We I know we purchased a home, but I gotta look good for all those people. I was like, woman. Now, what does she mean when she says I have nothing to wear? What she really means is I have nothing new to wear. But what do I mean when I walk out of, on a Sunday morning? Go, I'm friend. I go, babe, I have nothing clean to wear. And she goes, What do you mean? There's a whole bunch of clothes right there. I'm like, Yeah, but. They're all dirty is what I mean. And they smell like B.O. That's what my problem is. All right. When I say I have nothing to wear, it means there's just no, nothing clean anymore. And it's gonna, I, can't, I can't go in public like that. And when she says I have nothing new to, like, nothing to wear, she means I have nothing new to wear. See, the, we can, there's lots of opportunities for cross to be path, or, uh, paths to be crossed. There we go. You know what I meant. Heard you said, know what you meant. And my point is, is that I think that when we understand that most of our our, our arguments, most of our, our fights can often be prolonged and perpetuated because of our inability to communicate well. Honestly, I, I don't know of a single fight that Julie and I have had in our 11, 12 years of marriage, whatever it is now, 2008, 11. Um, so I don't have 2010 to keep the math straight. That's like brilliant. <laughs> but I can tell you that we basically argue about the three, same two or three things in our marriage over the last 11 years, and we've had to negotiate. You know what I'm saying? To go, okay, this is you, this is me. 
You're not going to change me. I'm not going to change you. And get this. This is a brilliant point for today's society. We love each other, and we don't always agree with one another. What a thought. What a thought. And why do we love each other, yet we don't agree with one another? How could you know that you have to believe the same things to have a relationship with one another? You have to. I mean, Ellen DeGeneres just had a football game with whether it was Bush, and she had this whole spiel, and I thought it was great. What she had to say was interesting. She goes, I can be friends with people who don't believe the same thing as me. Church, did y'all hear that? That's the word of the Lord, man. All right? And let me tell you why. Because you don't have to agree because the Bible says to make allowance for each other's faults because of your love for one another. I don't agree with all my wife's faults, and she definitely don't agree with all my plenty, my plethora of faults, okay? But I can assure you this, that we love one another and we're committed to one another. Now, how do we work through these things? A lot of the fights that we have are perpetuated and they're prolonged. They come in, you know, I call them pillow fights because they typically start when our heads hit the pillow. And they're like, after that long night, you went up to your friend's house and then she's like, or I'm like, yo, this is the thing that da 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 And all of a sudden it goes boom, you know, and all of a sudden the one person gets defensive and the defenses go up. How do we have a conversation where we can do communication well and, and, and navigate this thing called disagreement? Can I just say, one of the greatest areas of your life where you're going to be forced to see how good a communicator you are is when you have conflict with someone else. That conflict is going to surface things in your life that are going to show a lot about who you are and who they are. I always tell people, it's not, fire does not like, like uh, it does not refine your character, although it does, but it actually reveals it. Pressure reveals your character. It does not create it. And in this sense, I, I, I want to talk about this Let's call it loss in translation, how to crack the communication code, okay? You can title this one, loss in translation, how to crack the communication code. Because here's what we know, because there's so much difference, because there's so much opportunity to miss one another, what do we do? For a couple things I'd say, like I said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a heart expression. Communication is of the heart. And so that's why we need to understand one another's heart and take the time to, to understand one another's heart. How do we do that? Well, one, you need to always make sure that you're hearing the person appropriately. So how do you do that? Well, in the heat of a moment, let me just say, unless you have some rules of engagement, you're, it's going to go, like, it's going to become a, a, like a, a, a whole night long pillow fight, okay? And not the kind that you, some of you desire. It's going to be the other kind, okay? It's going to be like the, the worst kind. And so what I would say to you is this, a couple of points on communication. The lowest form of communication is assumption. You should just get it, right? You should understand me. You know, you know what I'm saying. Well, wait a second. I, again, your spouse, your partner, your boyfriend, girlfriend, they are not mind readers. And so you need to be really aware of how well you're truly communicating what it is that you need. Well, I shouldn't, if, there, if this is meant to be, this is my fairy tale ending, I shouldn't have to work at that. And that's the problem, is that you bought a Hollywood screen, like thing as like it was like the holy word, not the Hollywood, you know what I'm saying? You thought Hollywood was the holy word. You screwed up, all right? There's no, I just want to tell you, sex ain't like it is in the movies, y'all. Not at all. It ain't going to happen like that. Secondly, let's just stay on that one for a second. That's good. <laughs> Honestly, this fairy tale ending, is there such thing as the one? Yeah, the one that you said I do too, that's the one. You didn't miss it on that one. You said, I do, then, then go and do that. All right? Can I just encourage you to say, well, well, no, I think there's one person. Can I just say, if that was true, 
If there were one person with you, and therefore this fairy tailing shouldn't require any work from me, can I just propose to some single people out there? All it takes is one of you to screw that up, and all of us are screwed now. It's like a domino effect. You wrong, they're wrong. That was supposed to be mine. And now who am I going to marry? Okay, you. And then you marry the one. We're all done. We're all screwed. No one's going to marry the right person. I would propose to you that, no, no, no. See, God's going to create a world where man and woman are supposed to be together. And you're going to be attracted to many different men and different, different women. You get what I'm saying? It's going to happen. You're going to be at work, and you could probably... You could probably be with that person or this person and vice versa. You could be at work and that person, you could be on the sports team and that person, you could be at school, this person or that person. It, there's a hundred people, a thousand people that you could probably have chemistry with and experience a beautiful life with. Some of you are remarried and I've proven that to be true. Am I right? See, the reality is though, is that marriage is predicated on the fact of commitment and covenant and it's a choice. There is no such thing as this one. So therefore it eradicates this idea that marriage shouldn't be a lot of work. I think we've bought this notion in society today that says, I shouldn't have to tell you this. I should, if it's meant to be, this is too much work. No, I don't know who told you that. You're going to come out of seasons of lots of work, and then you're going to eat the fruit of all that work in the next season. And there's people I know who have been in dire straits, stretched and strapped when it came to the, the currency in their marriage. But as they begin to sow the right things, in the next season they eat the fruit of what they sowed. And all of a sudden they go, man, we were right on the rocks there. We were almost done. And now 20 years later they're looking back and saying, thank God. I suck it through and experience what real intimacy is in the good times and the bad times. But we've, 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 we've boiled down loyalty today to, uh, you know, what the stores do it as. Loyalty one programs where you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And if you're not meeting my needs, well, then see you later. See, we got this notion that it doesn't take work. I want to just say something to y'all. Where do we get this notion that if it doesn't meet my needs, see you later? I always say this, but I think it's brilliant. When I got married, I grabbed my wife by the hands and we looked at one another. And in between us stood a, a pastor, a priest, a clergyman, who was there in representation of God in the marriage. And he officiated our wedding. And he said, what man has, you know, gained, put together, let no man put asunder. He said, let no man tear apart. And God was represented in my marriage. And so we took these symbolic sands. We were cheesy back then in 2008. It was like the thing. You know, and we took these three sands, and the pastor, my wife, and I, we poured sand in together so that God, myself, and my wife could not be separated. It would be like trying to separate those from one another. Unless you're Tyler Rourke and has a trick like that. But anyways, whatever. <laughs> but my, my point is, is, think about this. What do you do when the other partner doesn't meet your needs? I mean, it's been dry for a while. I've been on the couch for a few weeks. Maybe this has been a dry spell. Maybe there's been a, a lack of intimacy. Maybe there's been a distancing vulnerability-wise, and there's no more coming together. Can I just say practically, I mean, I think obviously working at doing date nights and getting alone, getting the kids out of the way, I've never seen such a blessing blocker in, in the form of kids, okay? <laughs> it's a good idea. You say, well, our kids are important, and some of y'all are putting your kids first. And can I just say, you want to know what's priority? What came first? Not always puts things into priority. My marriage came first, then we come first. The kids can wait. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to thank you when they're older because they're going to want their mom and dad to be together than apart. They want to share the same house if possible. And I get it. Some of y'all don't have that scenario, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But ideally, I think that we'd all agree that that would be the best ideal, the one that we're working towards. And, and so my point is this, is that when you come together, oh, where was I going there? Forgive me. Colin, help me out again. What's that? 
meeting needs. Thank you. Holy Spirit, he's in the marriage. And the reason he's in your marriage is because when you don't meet needs, this is the idea of why we need God in society today. This is why we need God permeating our own hearts because God is the one who wants to satisfy your every need. He wants to make you whole. And some of you think, oh, you complete me. Guess what? No, they don't. This is where the kingdom's economy is a little different than the world's. I know that you're thinking of Jerry Maguire and you're going, you complete me. Is that the movie it's from? Right? Jerry Maguire? Jerry has some poor theology. And I want you to know something. That person says and reflects nothing on you in the sense of completing you. You are two holes making two or one. This is where the economy doesn't make sense. I get it. The economy of heaven, the economy of the kingdom of God doesn't make sense where two ones become one. Wait, what? Yeah, it's not two, it's one. And this is my point is you are fully complete. Until you get that completeness from God, you're going to be like a vampire sucking the life out of your, your spouse because you're going to demand that they meet a need in your life that God actually wants to fulfill and satisfy on every level. And this is why God is at the center of your life because when God happens to be at the center of your marriage and the two of you go through a season where something's it's hitting you hard, you're not able to meet each other's needs, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to, either you're going to start drawing eyes for something else where you're going to meet those needs elsewhere. You're going to start emotionally drifting and entertaining emotional satisfaction elsewhere at the office, at the secretary, at the thing, at the person, at the PA, whoever. You, I don't know what your thing is, okay? But here's the idea. If you're meeting it in God... This is what God's going to do. He's going to enable you to continue to give selflessly to the other person in their drought. Why? Because you're not drawing from them. If you draw from their drought, you're going to come up empty. But if you draw from the well who says, I will never, I will satisfy your thirst. Come to me and I will give you free wine and free drink. I will cause living waters to bubble up out of your life. What is he saying? I'm going to satisfy you. And you know what? The woman at the issue of the well, she went to all kinds of wells to meet her satisfaction, didn't she? Do you remember that story? She went to all kinds of wells, and what happened was, it says that she had been with five men, Jesus said. Remember this? Five men she had been with, just trying to fix that need, trying to look for love in all the wrong places, right? One from the other, just, I can't find it in you, can't find you. I'm looking for, the, I'm looking for Jesus, right? She's got that list. And Jesus, okay, and he turns around and says, and the man that you're now with is not your husband. That's six men. And then the man that she's now speaking to is the seventh man. That's Jesus, who is the completeness of God. Seven complete. And he completes. See, the seventh man, Jesus, causes her to not have to go to other wells, but satisfy. See, when you have Jesus in your marriage and you truly learn how to find fulfillment in him, what's going to happen is that you're going to find yourself satisfied in the things of God so that you can continue to give in their drought and continue to water a well that may need some water or a field that needs some watering. What I'm trying to say is, is that unless God is at the center, it's going to be really hard to find the resource to fix your marriage. It's going to be really hard to fix that relationship because it's going to take a whole crap ton, I hate to say it like that, of work. Marriage is not for the faint of heart. As a matter of fact, I'm, I tell you what, you think you're spiritual now, get married I'll tell you how spiritual you really are. Then have kids. Have four of them. Try that. <laughs> and try not being a man of God then, okay? My point is, is that, honestly, relationships take work. And this idea that they're just meant to be and that there's only one is, is, is total farce. We are equal in gender. Don't, don't get me wrong. The Bible teaches that we're equal. But we are not the same. 
And the mistake that we want today is we want everything to be the same, the same. We are equal, but we have completely different hardware and hardwiring. We have, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have the same pay, ladies, and stuff like that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we're, we're functionality. We are completely different. I thank God for my wife when it comes to pastoring this church. I have a way about me, but she literally balances me out in a way that I'm like, oh my gosh, she brings all the fun, man. I'm like, you are awesome. I'm like, what is it about you? I'm like, you're so, how do you do that? And I'm like, one of the things that attracted me to my wife was her joy. I'm like, man, you're, you're happy. You are so joyful, and I love it. But the reality is, is that it's gonna take some work. So can I, just, can I give you something real quick as we close this up today? If you wanna crack the communication code, then try this when you argue next. When you argue next, when you have a, an opportunity really where you need good communication, rather than when the other person's def- like saying their piece, like, you know, you always, you never, like those are bad words to use, okay? Those are like swear words in my house, okay? And, uh, and you do this, yeah, and you start coming at each other. What you want to do is before you're thinking about, well, no, and you just speak over, get louder, get scarier, get more intimidating, slam some doors, break some shower curtains, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what? I've never done that. Never done that. I don't know what y'all are looking at me for. Like that. But, uh, but the reality is, is that there's going to be some passionate moments. Now, get this. Is the problem that I've often said, you know what most of our, is when the other person doesn't feel heard. You don't have to agree with me, but at least understand why I think what I think. At least be willing to come to my side and, and take inventory of why I'm saying what I'm saying and why I have this mindset. You might say, oh, you're just insecure. and want to just label me insecure vice versa, and say, you just need to deal with your insecurity. I'm not going to change. You need to change. Well, wait a second. That's a really immature thing to do. Blessed are the peacemakers, the Bible says. It didn't say peacekeepers. I know Canada, we're out of that equation now. We're like, oh, shoot. (laughs) We're the peacekeeping nation. But we need to be the peacemaking nation. See, peacemaking, they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. So in other words, they seek to make peace. So in other words, if such and such an insecurity is flaring up in a spouse or a relationship and they wanted to come at you, you don't say, oh, I'm, we're not going to talk about this. It's your issue. This is where everything goes to hell in a handbasket. This is where we got to have the maturity to know, okay, listen, wait. I am going to be making peace right now. So that may require me, therefore, to be the bigger person. That may require me to have to put my feelings of what I think and my assessment of the situation aside to hear the person because being heard is incredibly validating. You know when Jesus rocked up on the scene and started his ministry? He was 12 years old. By the way, guys, he is the written word of God. So when he got in with all those people who are studying the word of God and debating it, it says he astonished the people that were at his, at his, at his feet at 12 years old in the temple when his parents forgot him there for three days. You guys remember that story? But you know what it said about Jesus when he came in? It says Jesus came in, he listened, he asked questions, and then he spoke. He listened to the the, the law teachers of the law. He asked questions and then he spoke. Do you know what I've noticed about God? Is that typically when I'm going through something, he sounds a lot like my psychotherapist that I see on Monday nights. And I learned something through counseling, the counselor, you know, the wonderful counselor. I've learned something from this whole experience. My counselor never gives me answers. She listens. She asks questions. Sometimes those questions are definitely loaded, but they're telling me something. I think God is incredibly interesting. And it says when Jesus listened, asked questions, and then gave his answers, because 
He listened to the voice of the one speaking. He validated the voice of the one speaking, won their ear. And then when he was able to speak into the situation, guess what happened? Everyone was amazed by his answers and his understanding. And it says he grew in wisdom and in favor, grace with God, but with men also. How do you win an argument? Maybe just try to understand the argument. Listen, right? Ask questions and then speak. So what am I saying? I'm saying this. I want you to write this down. When someone speaks before you give your answer and say, well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. You start to, because what happens is everyone's going to get their walls up and they're going to get defensive because they think you're on the attack. But if they sense, whoa, this person is on the attack. They just want to understand me. Whoa, this is weird. What happens is like, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. I've done this with my wife a thousand times. It's so funny. Can I just tell you what happens? I'm going to be like, she's not here today. I'm going to tell you something, okay? This is what happens. Julie's like, ah, da, 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 da. and when I start to show that I understand her, I'm just interested in wanting to understand her. She goes, she goes, and she goes, and she says, so I'm like, ah, is that a grin? She's like, stop. But yes, okay, I'm glad. And she's like, I'm glad that you're willing to understand me. Makes me look really good in this moment. Trust me, I've failed a thousand times. I don't want to look like that guy. <laughs> this is just the one minute where I got it right, okay? But one, reflect the feeling. When someone speaks rather than you rebut, no, don't rebut, reflect. Reflect the feeling and say, so what I'm hearing, my, my counselor puts her hand on her heart and goes, so let me see if I understand. I got one with an accent. It makes it feel way more sage of wisdom, okay? But let me see if I understand. And she reflects the feeling back. Now, this takes a lot of maturity, a great mark of maturity in us when we have an argument to say, okay, I want to reflect what you're saying and your feelings back to you to see if I'm truly getting the picture here. In that moment, when you reflect his feelings back, you don't just say verbatim what the person said to you. You actually paraphrase it from your understanding and say, so what I'm hearing is you're saying this. And they're saying, yeah, they can then clarify. No, 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 you're missing me here. This is what I'm saying. I'm like, and then you reflect again back. So you're like, okay, good. And then you are going to reflect the feeling and then, or, or sorry, did I say reflect the feeling? Wow. You're going to clarify the content right now, right? What they're saying. And then you're going to reflect the feeling. Man, so you're like feeling like totally misunderstood when I did that and I embarrassed you because this and, oh man. No, like I can appreciate that. Like, hey, I'm really sorry about that. Whoa. Y'all see that? Tell me how often that happens at your pillow fights, okay? That's going to lead to the good kind of pillow fight. And what happens is you've reflected the feeling back to the person and they feel understood, but now it's your turn to then go and do the same thing and go back. Now this is, we don't like these two steps because if we're just more interested in winning an argument, of being the one on top, of being, you know, a closet narcissist in the moment, okay? We're just gonna plow that person over and talk over them, speak louder, get more intimidated and get scarier or vice versa. Get like lower, stop talking, turn the head, hold a grudge. And these are all unhealthy ways to do it. I get it. We do it because it's defensive. Anger is a secondary emotion. I don't know if you knew that. Anger is actually masking the, the primary emotion, which is typically hurt, typically, like, you know, some kind of vulnerability that or fear that they're, they're uh, overlooking. But my point is simple, is that clarify the content, reflect the feeling, and then begin to negotiate and find your middle ground. You might not come to a full agreement in the moment. Can I just propose to somebody here today that that's okay, that you do not agree in the moment? There's plenty of things that Jules and I, even in the Word of God, they didn't agree on. 
but they remain together and they walk it out. Now the thing is, I think that what we need to do in our negotiation is find middle ground that we can both agree on to move it forward and to come up with solutions. Now here's a, here's a, here's a novel idea for y'all, is to find a fix and not the fault. I think that sometimes we just want them to fix it as we come with the finger and we're pointing this finger like, you, you, you. But what we don't realize, like Jesus said, there's a take, uh, as you, you know, take the plank out of your own eye if you're gonna judge your brother, right? I just think it's amazing how many fingers are so pointed back at me when I point the finger. I got three pointed right back at me. And I think that when we need to, I think bl blame can be blinding. That when we're blaming one another for what needs to happen, rather than find a fault, seek to find a fix, be solution oriented. I think you're so mature when we say, hey, you know what, this is what's going on. This is how this makes me feel. They reflect the feeling. I say, hey, you know what, but I believe the best in you that you love me. You said I do, or we're going to say I do. And the reality is, I laid down my life for you. And so this understanding, can I just say this? This is depending on where you fall on the Enneagram here, okay? On these personality things. Some people are like, no, you're an evil person if you wrong me at all. You're like written off my life forever. But here's the problem with that, is that we need to do our best to believe the best in one another. To assume the best. Come on, somebody. When did you stop assuming the best in one another? When did, you, when did you think that they intentionally meant to hurt you? I think that sometimes it's just our own dysfunction that could hurt people, end up hurting people. It's my, that's my observation. But we need to make a, like allowance for each other's fault. To a degree, I'm not saying that you should be abusive, and that's my thing of saying they're allowed to abuse you. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, let's make this very clear. But what I am saying is, in a healthy relationship, there's going to be opportunity where you can pit against one another. And I'm saying, where are you assuming the worst and where are you assuming the best? And how do we do that? I think it's important to say, hey, listen, this hurt me, but I know you didn't mean to do that or you'd never intentionally desire to do that. What if, watch this solution, we'd have to come out like this because if you said it like this in a tone like this, it would fall completely different. And I'm reactive in this scenario. I get triggered when this happens. So why don't we take it slow? Let's reflect the feeling, clarify the content, negotiate, and be problem, uh, you know, problem free by being solution oriented. Find the fix and say what you're needing. You say, well, I shouldn't have to tell them what they need to do differently. Isn't it obvious? Again, your spouse is not a mind reader. They need you to, hey, can I just say, some of the best sex you're ever gonna have is because you talk about what you like. Some of you are like, I can't do that, that's weird. No. You need to talk about your needs with one another. And so, clarify the content, reflect the thing. People want to be validated. You need to understand how I feel. This is the thing that people are desiring, to be understood, to be seen. And all of a sudden then, rather than letting that possible communication breach your relationship and ends up bridging it, you end up coming closer together. What was a, a grievance in the beginning only ends up bringing growth to your relationship. The things that looked like threatened you are the thing that only thrusts you into a deeper, more intimate relationship of connection, of intimacy, and you're now letting vulnerability lead the way, not trying to act like you have it all together, but I think there's so much at the root of this stuff that we need to get better at. And honestly, we're gonna continue even next week into this idea of communication. We're gonna go into a lot of how to do proper feedback, how to receive feedback in a much deeper way. And, and I wanna encourage you, honestly, if I've known one thing about all of us, is that communication does not come naturally. 
it is not something that comes easy. When you get close enough to anybody, we can be like a porcupine. We can want to like uh, keep people out of those spaces or those places. And I'm just encouraging you, why don't you begin to put these principles into practice in your relationship this morning and start to see your relationship take a turn in the right direction where you really start seeing one another, where you recognize, wait a second, I didn't marry someone who was my enemy. I didn't marry somebody who was against me. We are for one another. I'm going to lay down my life for this girl. And she is going to yield to the leadership of our house. And so together in this whole ebb and flow of, of love and, and, and grace, we start to come together and we start to talk about the depth of our thing. Some of you, can I just say, you're going to need to go to proper counseling. Because this isn't a counseling course. I can show you that I'm not a professional counselor. But being one who has gone to it for over two and a half years now, almost every Monday night, Say, why would he do that? Our pastor goes to counseling every Monday night. I love it. Count it down. Can't wait to talk to the other girl in my life, Kathy, okay? <laughs> but let me tell you why I love it so much. It's because I have no stigma associated to it. This doesn't look like weakness to me. I'll go, that's it's not weakness, it's meekness. It's being humble enough to go, yeah, I love it when you speak in and I got like a third party speaking in with a different perspective on the things in my life. And it was, it's amazing how it is equally, if I could say this, created a naked conversation between my wife and I because we do it together. We don't do it separate. We do it together. And when she talks into the things in her life, sometimes what we don't have the patience to do in person, we do in counseling. And I see her for a moment. I'm like, whoa. And then my counselor will turn to me after she speaks and she goes, what did you hear her say? And what did you appreciate about what, you, what she said? And I start to appreciate my wife in her vulnerability. I begin to smother and to cover her in grace. And all of a sudden, we come together. And I'm just saying, there's a reason we got four kids, y'all. Four kids. How you like them apples, okay? And so my point is, if you want to take things to another level, communication, intimacy, emotional vulnerability is going to be a massive key to helping you build a proper foundation mistrust, secrecy in those areas. We're going to talk about that, the difference between secrecy and privacy. Should I have secrets from my spouse? Should I have, or can I not be private? What's the difference? These are real things that I would like to talk about. We're going to talk about, you know, intimacy under the sheets, not just under the roof. We're going to talk about pornography and how the damages that that can do. We're going to bring in some real social science to this one and some scientific kind of language to it to help you understand its snares and its trap. All I know is y'all need to be in the house over these next four weeks, okay? So with that said, I'd love to pray with you guys. Maybe you're here today and you need some help in your relationship. You need to sort this communication out. Father, I just pray right now. Without a show of hands, no one to be getting in front of everybody like, that's me, we're, de we're desperate. Like, God, I just, th I just thank you for the people of our house. Without need, the need to be identified, God, we thank you that, God, you're going to set up this house to lay a foundation for us uh, on a relational level that is going to be healthy, that we understand that our relationships are going to take work. There's no such thing as a fairy tale ending, but, Father, we thank you. There's, there's so much promise. There's so much Holy Spirit here today to enable us to take our marriages intimate and to go further and and wider and higher, just the last, the, the you know, a lifetime, God, the way for better or for worse. God, I thank you for each and every couple that have been married for a mission here today to be a walking word of who you are in their world.
world, to release the fragrance of Christ everywhere they go, that God, people would see you in them and would be reflected in their marriage and in their relationship and the way they communicate, the way they respect, the way they honor. God, I pray that, God, you would raise up a people here today that would raise healthy families and, and a good example to the children, that, God, we would show and, and leave a pattern for people to build their lives after in Jesus' name. And so, God, we thank you. We pray your blessing, your favor, your grace, your goodness for all of us living under shame of sexual things. God, I pray that the power of your pardon, the power of your grace would wipe that off today, that there'd be no more secrets, that they'd be coming forward and coming into the light, and that we'd honestly just be smothered here today, that shame wouldn't shun us, that shame would have no ability to isolate, but that shame would be away with, and that, Father, we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we got a seat at your table, God. We still got a seat at your table in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. And amen. Hey, let me pray one last prayer and we'll get you out of here. Listen, we're going to have to rush out afterwards. And I forgive me, I've taken you a little bit longer. But can I just say this? If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus and you've never actually truly relied on him in the midst of your relationships, can I encourage you to allow him today to take the wheel, as Carrie Underwood said, you know? That you'd allow him to take his proper place in your life to be the Lord and Savior of life so that you can begin to see your relationships hit another level as you draw from him and you learn to water the world around you, that you allow your cup to overflow as he fills it up. And I don't know if I'm making sense to you, but today, maybe you need to put your faith in him today. Get right with God. If you're here today with every head bowed for a moment, every eye closed, if that's you, would you put your hands up today? We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit mychurchcanada.com.